Doc, we have a message from the DigiLight line from someone who's anonymous or choosing to be anonymous who says, Dr. Joel, does mental illness run in families? My mother definitely some, suffers from some condition that no one talks about or explains. And now my sister, who's in her early 30s, is starting to act the same, sometimes mm. normal, sometimes like she's on high speed setting. Um, what can I do? Mm, yeah, um, good question. And you're right. Most mental disorders just have a pretty strong genetic component. I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but I think if, let's say, for example, if there's someone in your family with depression, uh, especially mm-hmm. if it's an immediate family member, like parents or grandparents or siblings, I think you're twice as likely to have it as well. So I think 50% chance of you having it as well. right? So I think if your mom has it and your sister is showing similar kind of traits, then it's pretty good chance that it's in the family, it's genetically there. Whether or not you get it, it's, it's, uh, we don't know the time will tell, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's probably something you want to look out for when you have kids, for example, and just to let them know that this is a possibility. Yeah, but is it genetics Is it or is it environmental? Good question. It's a mix of both. But I think what happens is that the genetics, it's, it predisposes you. La. So it's almost like if you think about it, you know, your genetics, if you, it's, if you put an analogy to it, it's like the size of your bucket, la, right? So in terms of mental health, your bucket is smaller than usual. La. So then when the environmental mm. factors set in, you've got less of a bucket to contain the environmental issues. So it means it's going to overflow quicker right. la, in that sense, la, right? right? So it's a combination of both. But yeah, genetics does play a big role. La. Okay. Mm. But what I don't understand, it's just like she's on high speed setting yeah sometimes what kind of, normal what 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 is it um it sound like I, I, some, I, she's being manic or something yeah i was going to think about that too ash um i think if 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 we are right then it should be something along the lines of bipolar disorder i think but again i have zero information people who are a bit manic does seem like they're on high speed so that could be a possibility oh because sometimes they're normal sometimes they're on high speed so, so yeah. sometimes they've the oscillation between oh I see okay okay so Anon asks what can I do what would you suggest yeah so I think um, I mean ideally right we would um, get your mom to see someone either psychiatrist psychologist and your sister as well to get them diagnosed and see what's going on and it's that you have the added benefit of that when they do see someone they're going to get some help right either medication in most cases for bipolar or psychotherapy just to try and manage the oscillations a bit more oscillations meaning the swings between the highs and the lows Right. So that's for them. For you, it's just about monitoring for now like, and checking to see whether you yourself have these kind of similar kind of swings or not. Oftentimes, you know, it's difficult for you to notice on your own because it's hard for you to see uh, introspectively, like, right? So if you have a partner or so a good friend, for example, let them know that you're concerned about that and then put them on watch, like, basically. Like. And then if they notice any significant changes, they can let you know and then right. you can get yourself tested if need be. Like. Okay, this is from D on our DigiLightline who says, Hi, doctor, what is the best way to help someone who is having an anxiety? anxiety or panic attack. My partner is getting them often and when he is having one, everything I do or say doesn't help. Sometimes makes him worse. How can I handle it properly? So I think the first thing that's important for you to not do is tell them to calm down like, because I think in the history of people having panic attacks, asking them to calm down is never going to help. Like, it's like so anger. Good. When people tell me to calm down when I'm angry, also it doesn't help. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a lost cause. Like, right? I think with panic attacks, um, the battle is really won before the panic attack occurs. Like. I think a lot of times, understandably so, you know, people don't think about how to stop or resolve a panic attack um, when there's no panic attack happening like, and you only think about it right. when it's actually this happening. But a lot of times we tell our clients that this isn't something that you can do in- automatically right, or in- on the spot. right? 
right? It's not like, you know, it's like playing football. Right? You can't go play a 90-minute match for Arsenal or Manchester United if you haven't trained for like months and months and years and years on end. Same thing, right? right. So if your, cl- your partner is having regular panic attacks, what I would suggest is that when he's calm and things are all stable and nice, right? Have that conversation with him and start preparing together, right? So the really frontline defences against panic disorders, panic attacks, other than medication, of course, which is something that can be considered if you like, is really the relaxation techniques, deep breathing, PMR, uh, which stands for progressive muscle relaxation and things like that. So you want, the idea here is that we want to practice it. We want to get good at it. So we like breathing techniques, for example, deep breathing techniques. We want to practice it, you know, a couple of times at night, a couple of times in the wake up. So whenever you have the panic attack, your partner has it, um, you guys can do the, panic, the breathing together and then we can calm you down from there, right? So that's always the goal that we're trying to achieve here. Like. So off the bat, easiest thing you can do, that's what I would suggest. Like. Right. So it's kind of practicing so that you're really good at it. So when you need it the most, you can get into it faster, quicker exactly. and, and better. Exactly. Okay. And so you do it with your partner as well so that, you know, if let's say your partner has a full-on panic attack and they just don't know what they're doing, you can jump in and say, hey, let's do this together, breathe, you know, do accounting and all that kind of good stuff. So right. it's it's basically just managing it. There's no, there's no real cure for this then. So I think it depends on the, 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 the development of the condition. Right? So a panic attack is something that anyone can have, right? So meaning if we encounter a situation where it's so anxiety-provoking that we are, it overwhelms our ability to cope, we have a panic attack. And that can happen to any one of us, right? Right, uh, Renee is written into the DigiLight lines asking, can a person create a phobia if they keep saying they have one? My friend started saying that she was scared of lifts last year and kept saying how much she hates them and now won't go in one. Is it a real phobia? She had no issue with lifts before, now suddenly, so she won't leave her house because she's on the 15th floor or in the 15th floor apartment. Wow. Renee, that's a really interesting question and it's a good thought experiment to have. So if we look at phobias in general, phobia is an extreme form of fear or anxiety against something, right? So, you know, the typical ones are the things like roaches and heights and things like that, right? Agoraphobia uh, and things like that, right? So, it's, it's, a, it's a very extreme fear reaction towards something that is inherently neutral like in that sense like other people will not have that kind of uh, same reactions like, okay so it's not a phobia if let's say for example you cannot say you're a phobic of, of, of uh, someone attacking you or, or um, someone who's out to hurt you for example that's not a phobia that's a normal reaction mm. but again something like lizard or cockroaches then that's abnormal in that sense like quote unquote like, right so in your friend's case Renee I mean she's never been afraid if you're saying she's never been afraid of lives and then suddenly it, she's describing that fear and then it develops over time and now she doesn't want to leave her apartment then I think you could argue that it's developed into a phobia like, because it meets the criteria like. it's an extreme mm. uh, irrational re- mm. yep, reaction yep, correct and also it's a stimuli that not many people would be afraid of like that sense like, right? so I think it has developed into a phobia and it, it, it can be very problematic in that sense like. now the good news is that phobias can be uh, resolved or overcome I wouldn't say easily but it can be done like, right? and there are a few ways to go about it there is the nice and calm way where we do a guided um, step-by-step kind of process we do like a fear ladder so for example if it's the lift that your friend's afraid of right the highest rung of the ladder will be entering the lift and using it on a daily basis and then we build the ladder downward so next rung will be just uh, being in the lift don't go up and down just be in the lift next round will be just staring at the lift and then we go all the way down to maybe just watching a video or a picture of the lift for example mm. and then we help them uh, go through it step by step by step la, up to a point where they're able to enter the lift and use it daily la, which is great that's the nice and calm approach there's another approach which is a bit more controversial and we call it flooding la. so flooding mm. is basically you put them in the lift regardless of the anxiety that they feel and you go up and down the lift until they become okay with it la. so similar like with the previous uh, uh, person that wrote in about the panic attacks right? mm. we want to have 
help help them have the full spectrum of uh, the experience, right? Your anticipation of the lift, you have that fear. You go into the lift, the height of the fear, and as you spend time in the lift, that fear ebbs away, and you realize, okay, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? Right. This is controversial because it can be quite overwhelming and be quite difficult, and I wouldn't recommend you do it. And it doesn't always work because I have a fear of heights, and people have I've done bungee jumping, I've done roller coasters mm. and everything. The flooding mm. thing, it, I'm still deathly afraid of it. Yeah. So. I was going to add that you don't want to do this without a professional because you need oh, to be guided through the yes. process and all that so right. be careful about it Sorry as well about that. Yeah. Okay. so I'll just repeat what uh, Dr. Joss said uh, Renee don't do it <laughs> yeah, unless correct. you have an, you know, a, a, professional. a professional leading you yeah alright right. Right. AK is written into the DigiLightline uh, asking is it possible to fall out of love with someone and not really care about their feelings I feel very guilty that I don't feel bad about wanting to leave my spouse and pets it's like a light switch just flicked off i'm just pretending every day and it's horrible um can it happen yes i think it's something that can happen okay and the history of relationships you do hear it happening quite often often just like that like a light switch like one day i i love you so much and the next day is like maybe it wasn't just a one one yeah so i i'm I'm, it can happen but i don't think it's a one day thing i think it's a progressive kind of thing because i mean I mean, you do have okay. When you fall in love with someone, there is that that, that chemistry, and then you know you fall deeply in the hot, uh, head over heels in love and things like that. That does happen for emotional, psychological, biochemical re- reasons. It does happen, right? But for you to fall out of love like that, it's not going to happen overnight. Like, it's a pro- process that happens. So even if let's say it was just pure animal attraction, just biochemical biochemical attraction to mm. this person, right? Even then, the honeymoon period doesn't end immediately. It, it, it happens over a span of weeks and months and Tapers. sometimes years. Even. Yeah, correct. So. So I don't think it's something that happened overnight, AK. I think it's a progressive, gradual thing. Now, whether it's you or it's her, I, I don't know. Or even, sorry, I'm not sure AK's guy go. Um, and it's something that happened over time. And that's where you are at at the moment, I think. Or maybe you weren't in love in the first place. You just kind of liked someone. Could be. Or like the Could idea be. of it. Mm-hmm. Right, because there's a there's a different depth when it comes to love. Like, and our parents used to tell us like, there's a like, you don't know what love is until you get to a certain age, and then then you realize yeah. that you would do anything for someone. Right, there's a difference between love, liking someone, lusting over someone. You know what I yeah. mean? There's a yeah, whole yeah, different yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so in this case, is it just it's easier to fault like I don't feel anything for these people because I never really loved them in the first place. Mm-hmm. So with AK saying I'm just pretending every day and it's horrible. I mean, like, what would if AK was to come see you like what would you suggest AK sort of do as a next step before yeah. making any big decisions yeah good question I think if that's the, I mean if you already acknowledge that you're pretending and it's difficult for you to continue on and if you know, AK was a client of mine, for example. I think the conversations that we'd be having would be about really um, confirming that thought, you know, that it's something that I don't want to anymore. Perhaps also understanding the intentions behind the initial uh, start of the relationship and where mm. we are right now as well. Like, if you did stay on for what was the reason, if you did leave for what was the reason, and making sure that whatever decision that AK makes from here on out is something that is as informed as possible. Uh. So he's got all cards on the table and he can make the best decision possible. You know, the decision may, may or may not be great. Like, it may be involved heartbreak and cries and tears and all that mm. but ultimately in the long run it's like a band-aid like sometimes you just need to rip it off so that you know things can heal right? Anna's written into the DigiLite line asking this or saying this I'm tired all the time had medical tests many everything is clear but I'm just tired all the time it feels like I could sleep anytime during the day but I can't do that at night is this all in my head doctor? Good question Anna I think if you've gone through the medical tests and checkups and all that and you're given the all clear right 
um, I think it could be psychological in nature. A few things that I would probably I have in mind immediately would be one is um, whether there's any possibility of depression because sometimes that can cause someone to have be very lethargic um, and mm-hmm. really in, you know incongruently like you know you're both lethargic and you can't go to sleep and that can happen to you. So you have lethargy and insomnia at the same sort of time. Exactly. Yep. Wow. So that's one thing that I want to rule out. Another thing that I want to rule out is the possibility of you being burnt out as well. So the, you know overwhelming stress. You know your body goes awry. There's another another situation and that's why you go into the symptoms that you're going through. And the third one is um, there is this third thing where I can't remember the name of the word. It's basically like um, chronic lethargy, right? So mm-hmm. you're just lethargic nonstop, right? and that can also sometimes happen as well. Some people argue that it's it's also burnout in another form, but some people argue it's a separate thing, which can be possible. Is as that well. this? Is that the same as the chronic fatigue? Yeah, chronic the fatigue. Yeah, that's M- the one. ME, right? The, yes, correct. Is it correct. ME? Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Sorry, my bad. I got it mixed up. So these are three possibilities off the top of my head that I'm wanting to rule out. If, if you're all clear medically, then these are three possibilities, right? Which the first two, which is good in the sense that you know, there are things that we can go about it, right? So for both the depression possibility and the, the burnout and uh, possibility, I think a good first step is to just really keep track of what's going on in your day-to-day life, right? So keeping a thought diary, for example, would be a good thing. And check and see whether there's any um, spikes or any increases in the kind of negative experiences or negative thoughts that you have throughout the day, right? And also at night before you go to sleep. Because I think one of the main reasons why people don't sleep even if they're tired is because physically they're exhausted, but their mind is just running a million miles an hour. I think mm. that's a good time for you to catch all these negative thoughts and see what's going on. And if we can identify a significant amount of them, then potentially it could be one of the first two. Right? With the chronic fatigue one, that's a bit harder to diagnose. And I think that one you probably want to work with a psychiatrist and also a doctor to and collaborate on that just to see whether we can diagnose on that or not. I don't know the full process of diagnosing that. That one you need to speak to a medical professional. But for the first two, I would recommend that instead of keeping track and see what's going on. Could it be melatonin imbalance? I mean, like technically, once the sun goes down, you should feel sleepy, right? You should. And I think um, Anna is, I think Chris is saying she is tired and she can fall asleep immediately, right? So, but I think my suspicion is that her thoughts are raging because you think about it, right? If she can sleep during the day, she feels very lethargic. She's already tired because she's not sleeping well. And if she's falling asleep during the day, I'm also wondering whether that's a defense mechanism for her. So let's say the work piles up, anxiety, stress piles up, right? right. It's a kind of withdrawal. So, you know, screw it. I'm tired already. I'm just going to sleep because I'm withdrawing away from my source of anxiety in that sense. Mm. Right? But at night, when there's nothing to run away, from and I'm, I'm just replaying all these different things in my head then it's like the door is short like, in that sense like, I can't run away from it I can't go to sleep so mm. that's why I'm thinking maybe it's that you know what I mean instead of the melatonin like, 